Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. People notice a healthy smile, but maybe you have tooth sensitivity, bleeding gums, or acid-weakened enamel. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel are trusted specialty toothpaste created to help improve your oral health. For tooth sensitivity, choose Sensodyne. Bleeding gums, get Paradontax. For acid-weakened enamel, Pronamel is the toothpaste for you. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel. Trusted specialty toothpaste to help bring home your healthy smile. Visit Ibotta to earn cash back. Welcome back to a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry. I am kind of sitting next to Haley. And we also have the director of host here, Rob Savage. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Holy shit. Holy shit. (laughs) I can't can't congratulate you enough on this. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. No, it's been really the feed. The the response has been absolutely amazing. We're kind of uh, kind of blown away. I really, I like can't believe how, and it's also partly because Haley and I are both horror junkies and I feel like everyone I follow on Twitter or most people I follow on Twitter are subscribers to Shudder, which I would highly recommend if somebody out there isn't already. But the second the movie came out, it was just like flooded. Like I had no other content but host content. It's great. I know. I love it. Like literally I, I've been spending the last week just refreshing my Twitter, (laughs) Like, like taking it in. No, it's been, it's been amazing. I was kind of saying this to Perry and Slack before the interview, but something I really love about this is at the top of the quarantine, there was this vibe on film Twitter, so to speak, where people were like, the last thing I want to do is watch a movie on Zoom set in yeah. quarantine. But then you just went and made a really good movie and shut everybody up. So yeah. props, that's awesome. That's, and- that's literally how it happened. It was literally like... A- a bunch like I'm, I'm a really boring person so i just hang out with the people i work with anyway so i was on a zoom call with like everyone you need to make a movie and it was a couple of it was like a couple of months in and nobody had made a zoom movie everyone was bitching about it at first and then nobody had made it and we were kind of just like well why don't we why don't we give it a crack give it a crack you know what's the worst that can happen well job well done yeah when you guys come up with that idea during that Zoom call, what happens next? Do you kind of like formulate a pitch and contact Shutter to help make it happen? Well, it's an interesting one. It actually like came out of a prank video that I did. I pulled a prank on my Very friends. Prank on your friends. I watched uh, the video. Yeah. I think if I hadn't have given them a film role afterwards, they wouldn't be speaking to me now. Because um, <laughs> literally, like before before lockdown started, I just moved into this new flat. Um, 
and I checked out all the rooms except for the attic. I didn't have a stepladder, so I couldn't get up there. And I started hearing these like weird noises from up in the attic, like footsteps. When I was trying, to, I'd wake up at like three in the morning, there'd be like footsteps going across my my attic. And I became like obsessed with this idea that maybe there was somebody living in my attic, like in those stories you hear. Um, and then one day I came back home. And the attic door was like slightly ajar. And there was like a chocolate bar wrapper on the floor in the middle of my hallway. Like, like, I, like I'd never bought, I don't have any chocolate in the house. And it was like, and still like the stupid character in every single horror movie, I didn't go and check it out. And then lockdown happened. And suddenly I was stuck in the house with potentially like, you know, an ax murderer living in the attic. So, um, uh, so I went up there, I borrowed a ladder from my next door neighbor. I went up there. There wasn't an ax murderer living up there. But my attic did look super creepy, so I thought I could scare my friends. So what I did is I – actually, I'll show you guys. You, you can't see this on the podcast, but, like, I made this, like, weird contraption out of, uh, like, cardboard uh, that basically attached to my laptop. And this this uh, this is basically so I can slot my phone on um, without without the people on the Zoom call knowing that I've started filming my laptop screen. So I got them all on the Zoom call. I said, you know, I need you here for emotional support. I'm going to go check out these weird noises in my attic. And I loaded up a clip from this movie, Wreck, where a zombie jumps out at somebody who's looking around an attic. Um, and I did this, I did it, you know, I covered up the, the, the camera on my phone, put it in front of my laptop, played them this clip, and they thought that I had my face eaten off by a zombie and, uh, and reacted as you'd expect. And... Um, and we put it online and it ended up like blowing up like crazy. We're like we really thought that that was going to be the thing for the lockdown. That was going to be our one, our one achievement. And, um, we got like 7 million views and it was this whole crazy thing. And, uh, off the back of that, we got lots of calls from, a, from a lot of places being like, can you do a longer version of this? This is the only thing we might be able to film this year. Can, can we, can we do something in this format? Um, and so we took that idea and we, we ran with it and we pitched it around to a few places and there kind of became this like, little mini bidding war on the project uh shutter shutter being one of the people who who tried to who tried to get in and we had a lot of offers and we had bigger offers but 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 shutter were the only people who really got on board with how we wanted to make it we really wanted this to be a movie made in lockdown watched in lockdown released in lockdown like we wanted it to be out really fast so that it was really speaking to the current reality and like the other places they were, they were saying like, yeah, we'll turn this around really fast. We'll get this out in like six, seven months, eight months tops. And it's like, no, 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 this needs to be out in like eight weeks. This needs to be, uh, you know, this needs to be a film of the moment. And Shudder, to their credit, they, they really got on board and just let us do it and let us uh, figure it out as we went along. Because the pitch to Shudder really was like, I think we had, we had the idea of the seance. It was like literally a bunch of characters do a Zoom seance something scary happens and you've just got to trust us. And that was the pitch. And they like fortunately got on board and, uh, and you know, luckily we, we figured it out. How much did you know about seances and all that type of stuff before you jumped into it? Oh, I love a good seance. Like we, I, I, um, I did, I did a TV movie like four or five years ago with a medium character. And so it's like research for that. I'd, um, I got to know a bunch of mediums and I actually like joined a spiritualist church for almost a year. And like, so every Wednesday I'd go to like this town hall and do seances with this, with, with this spiritualist church. And it kind of like blew my mind how different it was from like seances you see in movies. It was really like low key. And it was really kind of like it, the, the, you know, the, the, the medium, the, like a, the, my kind of closest medium friend is just like a single mom who like every other day of the week, 
just her only concern is getting her kids to school on time. But then every Wednesday, she's like a fucking rock star going and summoning the dead for all these people. So we just thought that was like a super interesting uh, thing to incorporate into into this movie and a nice kind of old school touch to go with the new Zoom, you know, kind of way we were coming at it. When when you are like in real life, sort of actually engaged in that community, is there yeah. any concern of like crossing an actual spiritual line by making the movie? Well, it's funny you say that. Like we, we basically, well, we did a real seance. We did a real seance with the cast just to like get him in the mood beforehand. So we got, I got that medium to come on the zoom call. We all lit our candles and like, actually a lot of the stuff that you see in the movie in the first half of the movie happened in that seance for real. Mm. Like one of the things you have to do on a zoom seance is individually you have to go around and say, you know, you have to call out to the spirits and say, uh, you know, I make this a place of welcoming for you spirits. Give me a sign if you're here. And Gemma uh, from the film, Gemma, the, the, one of the lead actresses, the moment she said that, a big, like, Lord of the Rings-sized book, like, went doof and fell off her shelf in the background. And she, like, jumped up and started having a panic attack and, like, basically broke down in tears, just like in the movie. Um, as far as we know, it wasn't a prank. Maybe it was, but, but it, that kind of gave the foundation of this idea that she'd maybe be the one to make a scene during the seance and then our and then our medium got cut off uh and we had to close down the seance ourselves like to get her on the phone she had to talk us through so there was this idea of like did we do it right or is there still like something floating about so we went into the film with all that baggage which was good fun i feel like you're freaking out right now me too. I think it's all very interesting. Can, spirits, spirits can travel via the internet, by the way, just to just to put that out there. Is, That's one thing we've determined. Is, is a Zoom seance like a concept that was being practiced even before quarantine happens? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure it happened before before quarantine, but like, but I was chatting to my medium friend, and she was like, "It's a new thing for me. I do readings over Zoom. I do, you know." I think we were the first seance that, that she'd done, but she does like one-on-one -on -one, like psychic readings and stuff. Um, we didn't know if it would work. I mean, but it's, you know, I think it's more about, because normally you'd go in a room and you all hold hands around, you know, a candle in, in the center, but like, uh, you know, so, so a lot of it was like about picturing, picturing the circle and it's about the psychic connection being stronger than the physical connection. And I don't know. I mean, she kind of had to say that because otherwise we would have just been sitting there looking like idiots. But um, she said, she said, yeah, it's, you know, it's something that's workable. Wait, Haley, I have a question. Are are you into like are you okay with seances? Is it just like a Ouija board thing? Like are Ouija boards and seances two completely different things? As far I, as whether I mean, you're okay or not. For me, like in the terms of what he's talking about with people yeah. who take it really seriously and our practitioners, sure. That's like yeah. a that's a thing. I don't want to be with a group of friends drinking doing a Ouija board. That just feels dangerous. Yeah. I, I don't think I I don't think I would do a Ouija board. Maybe. Maybe I would. <laughs> I feel like if you're doing, if you're doing, uh, like how how was uh, the other Zoom seance you did recently that we heard about? Like, did anything creepy happen during that? Oh, that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. I'm well excited about that. Because <laughs> I feel like you're already kind of like tiptoeing into that dangerous territory. I don't know yeah, yeah. Those characters yeah, over I feel there. like you would do a Ouija board. You seem very comfortable. <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't learned anything from this experience. <laughs> So how about all of the tech elements here? I mean, I don't even know where to start, but, you know, I'm just kind of I'm picturing what they did on the movie Unfriended, where, you know, they set up the rigs and they put all the actors in a room and you kind of play the whole thing through. Is is that at all akin to what you had to do to pull this off? No, I mean, it was more like 
we kind of set it up a bit more like a prank video in that like we didn't really have a script we had we had an outline we had like a 17 page outline and we sent that out to the actors but we but we red acted a lot of stuff we kept a lot of stuff secret from them so they only got the pages of like what happened to their characters they didn't know what was who was going to die they didn't know where the scares were coming and then we structured the shoot by shooting like the stunts and the set pieces and the scares up front so that I could edit those together. And similar to my prank video, I was able to play those scares back to them when they were least expecting it. So as far as they were concerned, they were watching a scene where they were just meant to be having a conversation with their friend. And then suddenly they'd get picked up and thrown across the room and they wouldn't realize that we'd be playing them this pre-recorded stunt and we'd get their real reaction. So a lot of the reactions in there, it's like the take one reaction from us pranking them basically. Um, and we, so we broke it up in those ways, like the scare scenes, we broke up and filmed those beforehand. And then all the group stuff, we shot that. We didn't do it all in a day. We basically focused scene by scene and did it again and again and again. until we got it just, just right, but we shot it all chronologically. So we were kind of able to see the film unfold as, as we went along. When you got, uh, you know, like sometimes six characters in the screen, does it feel like directing six movies? Is it as hard as it seems like it would be to get all the performances lined up? Yeah, it's really, it's really full on. And it's more, I mean, even more full on for our editor, Brenna Ranga, who basically had to cajole six movies into working as one. Um, but no, I mean, so, so basically like I, at the start of every scene, I kind of worked out like, a tick list of beats that I needed from each of the characters. I spoke with all the individual actors beforehand. So they kind of knew their objectives in each of the scenes. And I kind of just be looking out for it. And I, you know, I, I, nobody can be across six different performances and six different movies at once. So it's more about uh, just making sure that I ticked off these moments and we do it until I had a full tick list. Um, and then there were things that I didn't even realize, like amazing moments that I didn't even realize we had until we got to the edit and I was looking through the rushes because um, there was a lot of improvisation. So around though, around that tick list, there were all these great things that came up like, like Emma's line, happy spookies, which is just great. And that like, she, she just came up with that and you, you know, you can't plan for that stuff, but it ends up being the best stuff in the movie. I feel like that's exactly what we strive for here on the witching hour. Happy spookies. Happy spookies. Say, it's like, I feel like that could have been the name of the show and it's still what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what about the uh, the camera rig that each one of them have? Can you kind of break down what you're actually using to capture everything? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it was super, super lo-fi, the whole thing. It was really like DIY filmmaking to the max. We basically got them all, you know, the, the original plan was to just press record on a Zoom call. Uh, but then we realized that we were spending like, tons of money on these crazy stunts and if somebody's internet connection cut out then we just like have lost all this money so that we we nixed that idea quite quickly and we came up with the idea of basically just like velcroing mobile phones onto the back of their laptop with the with the camera poking out over the top so they were filmed so they had like you know 1080 hd footage that was being shot that wasn't connected to an internet connection and it was pretty similar to what i was seeing on zoom so i was able to sit on the zoom call and monitor it but know that we had, you know, a proper, a proper, uh, proper footage to work with on the other side. Um, and then, you know, they had, what did they have? They had like, look, I think it was like radio mics they had that were kind of attached again with sellotape, like on the back of the, the laptop. So their laptop was like this hench thing that they were carrying around with all these little gubbins attached to it. Um, and that's, and that's pretty much how we, how we shot it. Um, all the lighting was uh, available lighting in their flat with just turning lamps on and off. It was really low key. There was no film equipment in any of the flats apart from those radio mic packs. 
and I know you have stunts and stuff here, but how much how much are the actors responsible for that on their own by themselves, or do they have like an extra set of crew hands with them to make sure it's all kind of working? We had uh, it was interesting because like because the film was shot across this divide where the UK like slightly opened up. So originally the plan was to do everything in total isolation, but towards towards the end we were able to get in like a stunt coordinator to do some stuff with the real with the real actors um but it still had to be quite uh quite low key and they weren't allowed to like rig the actors in their stunt suits it had to be the partner of the actors they just were like in the corner basically pressed against the wall having to like direct everything um but you know but there's but there's a lot of stuff that is done by the by the real actors and a lot of stuff that the actors actually like pitched in like the first scene where i don't know we're we going into spoilers on this can we go into spoilers oh, we i mean yeah. Do we, we want to just do it? All right. Well, yeah. Well, the, right. the spoiler coming up. Um, spoiler, Paxton. The, the the bit where the bit where Haley gets pulled back in her chair the first time and slams against the wall. That was actually something that Haley and her boyfriend came up with because they've got like they had like climbing ropes in their apartment for some reason. And literally after the first call where I got Haley on board to do the movie, she like sent me this video without any explanation. Just this video of her like sat at her desk. I was like, why the fuck she sent me this? And then suddenly, whoosh, she gets pulled back and slams against the wall. And they just like come up with it in five minutes and send it to me. So there was this real feeling of like anyone can throw in. If anyone's got a better idea, let's hear it. And, we, you know, we all just wanted this movie to be as cool as possible. Um, I have to say, not one of my friends warned me that there was a character named Haley in this movie that feels super immersive. <laughs> dicks. Across the board, dicks. Yeah, it's very weird he- hearing hearing that name <laughs> when you're on a Zoom format movie. So yeah, 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 surreal. I am curious when you you say you did everything you know super lo-fi. Were there any set pieces or rigs or ideas that you weren't able to pull off? Yeah, there's one. I don't. I don't. Wanna, I don't. Wanna, I won't go into it too much because we might we might use it again in a in a future movie. But there was like there was one idea that was. Be- you, have you guys seen Insidious? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That was that was patronizing. Look, you know, in, Insid- in Insidious, the the um, that the, there's there's the bit where the character is walking back and forth and then suddenly appears in the main room. We had a scare like that that was kind of. I mean, you can probably guess what it is, but like we had we had a Zoom version of that that we that we really wanted to get in, but we just couldn't because we couldn't we just couldn't get the demon into into actually physically into someone's house. It always had to be with a hidden cut, and it just didn't. It just didn't quite come together. I mean, that's the only one that I really like, that I really miss, because a lot of them, uh, you know, we came up with a lot of the scares and set pieces first before we had even the plot. We just looked at what we had access to, you know, what uh, we knew we had stunt people who were isolating with stunt coordinators. So we had basically everyone you need legally to perform all these crazy stunts living in a household. We knew we could cut to them for a crazy stunt. We knew we had a pyrotechnics guy. We knew that, um, you know, we had the ability to set people on fire and, and levitate people. And so we, we kind of just made a big list of like, what do we have access to? Uh, and we always wanted to like push it further than people would, would ever expect from a Zoom movie. You know, the idea, because it sounds awful on paper. Like when you say, it's, it's a, you know, it's a Zoom horror movie. It sounds like an awful idea. And we knew that people would be going in thinking, well, there's, you know, knowing we made it in lockdown, there's only a certain level of scare they're going to get to. It's going to be paranormal activity stuff where the door moves a little bit and then, and then that's it. And we really wanted to like have a moment where we step up the game and say, no, we, we, we've, we've got much more where this came from. And, you know, that, that moment without ruining it with Ginny over the pool was a big one that we really wanted to get in. It was one of the first ideas we had. Um, 
just to to step up our game in that final third. It puts so, a real exclamation point on things. It's, I, I'm glad exactly. you're able to work that out. I'm not one. I'm not one for subtlety. So. <laughs> Couldn't tell. <laughs> with, with the the whole debate between you know releasing movies on streaming services and releasing them in theaters, I would just be curious. Like, let's say you had the opportunity to release this on the big screen right now, would you even want to do it? Because I feel like so much of I don't know, like the realistic horror of this comes from the fact that I am watching a, a movie taking place on Zoom on the computer that I do my Zoom calls on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how that's how it was designed, definitely. And actually, it, it, a little uh, Doug, Doug Cox, our producer, came up with this little tip where if you basically open a Zoom meeting in the background, it turns on your little green light like you're in the Zoom call and you can watch it in a really immersive way. Um, no, it was definitely designed to be watched on a laptop. I think that's the ideal way to watch it. It was made, uh, you know, it was it was basically made to be watched in quarantine. That was how we wanted to release it. We wanted people to, you know, you know, like as a as a horror filmmaker, basically all all you want to do is make people scared of their own home. You want people to like go and watch a movie in the cinema and then take it home with them, so that when they're turning off their bedside lamp, they're they're, they're like looking into the dark corner and looking into the closet and like freaking out. And like we just had this amazing opportunity that everyone was literally living the same reality. We're all at home. We're all using Zoom. Uh, we're you know you can't you can't just just run out and save your friend because outside is you know is is a danger zone so we really wanted to exploit that that's definitely the way the way to watch this movie that being said we are actually releasing this movie in some cinemas uh we're, we're making plans for the u.s in the uk it's having a cinema run uh i can't wait because part of the fun of making horror movies part of the reason i make horror movies is so i can sit in the back row and watch people's shoulders jump at all those moments so i'm really looking forward to that and um, and also it just like it will make it feel a bit more real because it, it, it's even though it's had this amazing response, it's a movie that we the movie came out of me and a bunch of friends being bored in lockdown, st- sitting in our homes. We made it sitting in our homes. We released it sitting in our homes. And it, like in, in a lot of ways, a lot of things haven't changed. We're still, you know, even even now we're communicating via, you know, a, a video conferencing app. So it's it's a very surreal way to like release a movie. Um, so I, I can't, can't wait to see it with people. Yes. Uh, based on my reaction alone, I imagine you'll get all the jumps you're hoping for. <laughs> what was your jumpiest bit? What, what scared you the most? Um, well, I'm an easy jumper is the thing. Yeah. So that's hard to pick. I think the one that scared me the most is the big pool gag at the end, but it didn't make me jump. It made me go. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> I'm not an easy scare, and I've seen the movie three times now, and every single wow. time, I don't know why I'm not ready for it. But the end with the demon, every single, it's like I can't really pinpoint still when the exact moment that the demon. I know it's going to happen, but it still gets me. That's amazing. I never thought that would work because because literally we put the countdown as well. So you like it's counting down to the scare. So it's like. We're telling people when the scare's coming. I love, I love that so much that that, that works. I picked up on that, and still, I I felt like, like, what did I miss when that actually happened? But I knew it was coming. It's amazing. It just shows there's no, there's literally no rules to to these things. Like if something, if something works, there's some kind of like sorcery to why to why these things work. Well, kind of on that note, I mean, 
you said you might want to save that gag for another movie. And I know in interviews, you've suggested the possibility of a follow-up film. Mm. How do you approach that knowing that so much of the magic in this is in that shared experience we're all having, which is becoming uh, more and more different internationally on different scales as this continues yeah. to evolve? I think, I think the way we're going to come at it is we're not, we're not even going to try and replicate that feeling in host because it cut that, that feeling came so much out of a group of people, creatively frustrated people in the middle of lockdown, trying to do something cool, uh, using, using the, the kind of letting lockdown kind of fuel our creativity. And, and it, it, in this way that you just couldn't, you couldn't replicate and you couldn't certainly couldn't replicate it if you're coming at it in a cynical way to try and, to try and do a sequel. So it, our approach is really to do something t- totally different that still touches on what's going on and, and the, the kind of, uh, how do I put it? Like the kind of, um, the problems inherent to this, this point in time and how, how we're dealing with our current, with our current situation and why things have, um, why things have snowballed the way they, they have. It's a, it's a whole different kind of approach to the same, this same point in time, but, it, and, and it's probably, it's probably not as, it's probably not going to be as immersive. It's probably not going to be as recognizable to everyone. Um, but I think it's going to be different enough that like, certainly I haven't seen anything like it. And I think as a horror fan, I'd be excited to watch it. I'd log in and watch it on the first day it appeared on shutter. So that's as, as good a metric as, as we can come up with uh, it. You know, it all, all, all I can say is that we're super excited about it. And, and we have the same feeling that we had when we started on host and if we can, if that can carry through, then uh, you know, I'm hoping that hoping that, that it'll land in the same way that Host has. I don't know how much you can speak to this, but given sort of the massive buzz around this right now, how much is mm. there an impulse to sort of charge forward as quick as you can, like with the first idea, versus maybe spacing out the timing while productions open up and things like that? Well, I mean, everyone wants it as fast as possible. Everyone wants it. Everyone wants it as close to the original as possible. But we're quite lucky that at the same time that we came up with Host, we were already developing this this other idea. Um, again, in response to what was to what was going on in the current climate, and we, we you know, in another in a parallel universe, that would have been the one that went ahead of Host. We were, we were pitching it around before before the world you know shut down and. Um, you know, now we'll have the opportunity to make it, hopefully, you know, touch wood. Um, so, yeah, I'm just rambling now. I've forgotten your question. But, yeah, we're very excited about this ne- about this next one. Um, going back to your cast here, who was the most, I guess, difficult to convince to jump into this? I mean, this this might sound like a very small thing, but I'm, I'm watching the movie and I'm picturing them all shooting this in their own homes. And mm-hmm. then I'm thinking, like, would I want to throw flour around my house? Would I want blood spatter all over? Well, that's well, that's like that. Let me just show you, like the the that 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 bit in Emma's house. That's actually like that's my house. Like <laughs> that's that's the that's the floor where we threw the flour on. Like um, we we there's lot, lots of these effects. We like we did these like clever hidden cuts. So you go from you 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 know you think you you think you're in the point of view of the actor, but actually we've cut to a stunt performer's house and they're dressed in the same, the same costume where you've cut to my house because I'm prepared to throw flour around and like, you know, and, and make my cupboards explode and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there's lots of all these, these kind of clever ways we, we got around that. And we, you know, we didn't want to pile too much on top of the actors. Um, although they, you know, they all did like amazing, uh, they all went above and beyond. Like the bit at the end where 
uh, Gemma's in Haley's house and her entire kitchen basically explodes. We did that like four times and like totally like fucked up her kitchen. And, and she was like, she was super cool with us doing it. And like, just, they were all, they were all totally game. I think probably Gemma was the most, was the hardest to convince because I think she's probably the most scared of the supernatural of all the friends. And she really didn't want to do the seance. Uh, but eventually we convinced her. And now she loves it. She's doing the seance with us again tomorrow. So she's got a taste for it. But um, I think she was the most angry about the prank video as well. So it, so it, like, it took a bit of convincing that it wasn't just another prank. So our, I know like you guys are all friends in real life. Mm. Is how they behave in host not in line with like how they would behave in real life whatsoever? Because Gemma is the one that kind of like messes with the whole system and essentially causes it. Yeah, I think like Gemma's naturally quite mischievous, and I, if it wasn't mess, she she definitely wouldn't do that. She definitely wouldn't do that if there were if there was a real medium involved because she'd think that she was messing with some evil mojo. But like, but probably in any other situation, she'd be the one. She would be the one to kind of like take over a situation like that and do something kind of fun or silly with it. Um, you know, I think they're all, they're all playing close to themselves. I mean, you know, I, there was no script. So we're having to rely on their natural chemistry and their natural banter, uh, for a large part. Um, but, but no, I mean, what was interesting is like, so, so the film was written by, by me, Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley and me and Jed are really good friends with the cast. And, um, you know, Jed was on the original prank video. He helped me like figure out if it was going to work and like, uh, we we know the girls really well and we kind of thought we knew what their dynamic was. But then we brought Gemma in, who's this great screenwriter who we were very lucky to get in this window between two writers' rooms she was doing. She came on for two weeks to work with us on this and she'd never met the girls before uh, and I'd only met her once. And so she came on and she did this seance with the girls and she was just there scribbling in her notebook the whole time, picking up on these little a little undercurrent of tension here, a little, you know, a line of dialogue that one of the characters says here, you know, Caroline and her dad and, and Redina and her boyfriend. And she just picked up on these little things that weren't necessarily as, um, like as accentuated as they are in the final movie, but she just could find the kernel of these ideas, um, in seeing how the girls interact. And I think that was a really like eye opening part of the process was, was Gemma coming on and saying, no, this is the story. It's gotta be, Gemma versus Haley vying for like control of the group. And that was kind of the backbone of the film that we went with. I'm curious on the writing of it because the, another upside about being on streaming is like, you didn't have to pad it out. You could make a short, mm. which makes it never overstay. It's welcome. I think it's a wonderful decision, but uh, how did you approach the balance of like character action and then some mythology when you have such mm. tight runtime? I think the run the runtime actually let us be a lot more loose with that stuff. I feel like if this was a 90-minute movie, you definitely want some more mythology. You definitely know, want to know what this demon was about. And you probably want to know what the beef between Gemma and Haley was about or get some catharsis there. Like, And it was really fun not having to... to, to adhere to that like normal structure that you get that you the you know normally through development like normally a development process on a film is like two three years of just like analyzing every single line in the script until until you can't even remember what you loved about the idea in the first place it can be a really like bruising process and to just do this where like in two weeks we have to have a finished film you know we have to have a finished scriptment and like we just have to trust our gut on it and um and I've done that thing again where I've forgotten the question halfway through, like talking about it. Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, so like I, you know, I, I think because we were playing it in real time, um, we knew that. I don't know. I mean, it, like orig- originally, the, the beginning was meant to be a lot shorter. We were meant to get to the seance a lot quicker, but because there was a lot of improv and the guys are quite naturally quite likable and funny, and they came up with all this great stuff, we were kind of able to run with it a little a little bit longer. And it, you know, and it felt like there was enough of a structure that we come up with in the scriptment that it didn't just feel like lots of people talking with no with no structure we had these kind of internal jokes we had the tent you know the tension at the beginning with Gemma and Haley. we had the you know the astral plane drinking game these little kind of like structures within the first uh whatever it is like 20 minutes that could carry us through and plus plus also like and I didn't quite realize this because I was worried when we put it out that there was too much waffle at the beginning and it was like there was too much uh like I, I thought it was funny, but I really, you know, I love all the people in it. So I, you know, I, it's just fun watching my friends, like, you know, shoot the shit. So, but I was worried that people would just like turn it off. But actually, I didn't anticipate that people, because one, one thing, like, I didn't realize this was a, a, a scary movie. Really, I thought it was a fun movie, but I didn't really realize how scary it was to how other people would take it. And you put it on a platform like Shutter, they know it's a, they know it's a horror movie, even when the characters are bantering at the beginning. Haley's got an open doorway behind her that drops off into darkness. Your eyes are always drawn over there. There's always like this undercurrent of, well, look, we all know why we're here. We're here to be scared. You know, no way the filmmaker is just going to let these guys waffle. Something scary is going to come along. And like the way the audience watches it is totally different from kind of how we, we intended it. Those, those, those early, that early section. Um, I remember showing it to my girlfriend the first time. And like, I was laughing at all the jokes and she was just like, she was like, like this, like totally tense with her shoulders up to her ears, like because she thought something terrifying was going to happen at any moment. So it kind of made me realize that we could get away with padding out a bit more, a bit more kind of character development at the beginning. And also that's just my preference. Like I'd rather, I'd rather know who these people are. I'd rather care about them before the horrible shit starts happening to them. Uh, Cause I think, you know, if you come up with the best scare in the world, it doesn't matter if you don't know who these people are and you don't care about them. Like one of my favorite movies is um, Wolf Creek. Which, which is like, I mean, I say favorite movie. It's like one of the movies that, that has affected me the most and I think still scares me the most to this day. And I love that, that I, I really love the first hour of that movie before any horror kicks in, just plays as a, this great, beautifully observed indie movie and you get to know the characters. And, and for me, that movie's so upsetting because of that time that it spends with the characters. So that's always, that's kind of always my preference if you can get away with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can not just deliver like a well-constructed scare, but actually earn it mm. and make it feel for the character that it's happening to, I definitely prefer that route. Yeah. Going into the mythology a little, I have a very specific spoiler question for you. Yeah. So in your mind, if Teddy never called back in on his own, would he have lived <clears throat> through this or the fact that he was part of it at the very beginning already sealed his fate? <clears throat> Well, there's two schools. There's two schools of thought here. I, I think one thing, and and my co-writers think another thing. Um, basically, on the on the face of it, he would have been fine. He would have had a lovely night unless he'd come back because you know the transgression was Gemma making up the story about Jack that allowed something to come into this to come into this world and um, you know and 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 wreak havoc. But we also wanted this idea that Haley, being a character who has performed lots of seances in the past, might already have something kind of lingering in her apartment, might already have something attached. Uh, 
and she might have inadvertently bought it, bought it in and just, you know, by the medium kind of conjuring this psychic connection between the lot of them, that might be the thing that allows it to kind of feed on their, you know, their collective summoning and, 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 and start to manifest. There's actually like, if you listen, if you, if you listen, as you go through, there's actually like a kind of croaky, like weird back of the throat, croaky, crackly interference sound that we use every time the creature, every time the demon like starts to have show its influence. And we do actually play that sound at the very beginning in Haley's apartment. So there is this idea of like, there's something there already, like just, mm. just waiting. But look, look, the, the, in terms of like what's on, what's on the surface, the idea is, the, the idea is it's a, it's a, a tulpa, which is like, do, do you know what a, a, a tulpa is? It's like a demon. It's like a demon that's, that's, um, it's a demon that's summoned by groupthink. So the idea is if everyone pictures the same image in their head, you can actually make something manifest just by kind of, by this shared imagining. So the idea is that as Gemma, when they're in this kind of like hyper connected state, she tells them this story of Jack. She places this image of the hanged boy in, in all of their heads that allows this thing to manifest. And we kind of played all the scares as though this demon is like, this demon is like using the image of Jack almost to like, to mock them and to toy with them. And like, you know, so they, there's all this kind of hanging iconography, but in our minds, it was kind of the demon, the demon kind of like rubbing their noses in it. And towards the end, you know, that last, that last shot again, spoiler, like the, it, you, you see, it's like half human, but it's, it's sort of like transforming into something more demonic. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's skin is ripped away to reveal something more, more demonic. So the idea is it's kind of doing away with the Jack facade. And if the call hadn't cut off, then you might've seen a bit more of what this demon actually looks like. Um, yeah. I'm curious that you said you and your co-writers don't necessarily disagree because so many productions go in with like a mythology Bible of exactly nah. how it work. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, the, the, the Tulpa thing was our kind of like, like we all we all kind of agreed on like that was the story we were telling on on the surface, but we also definitely knew that like when Haley said I've done this I've done this before, there'd be that lingering question of like, well, what's she what's she been toying with? So we wanted to like we wanted to tease that up a bit, and um, yeah, no, I, I, I like it that, that people have been arguing about it. It's very fun to watch. Did you play around with the look of your demon and also the way to capture it at all? Just what the end design would be. And also, I mean, you probably know that that horror trope that, you know, movies usually tank when you show it too much. So how do you yeah, yeah. the right amount to show it? Um, I was worried we'd shown it too much, actually, to be honest. like, <laughs> it, 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 And it, we had shot some more glimpses of the demon that we cut out. Uh, and to be honest, the demon is basically just it's there's this actor that we've worked with a lot called James Swanton. Who's this, he's got this amazing physicality and he's played demons for, for us before in our other movies. And he was on that initial list of like cool people who I wanted to get involved. So I called him up and he was like, he was on, in lockdown with his parents in the middle of the countryside. And I was like, show me around your house on a zoom call and let's see if it looks, for, if it looks like I could cut it in with another character's house and make it feel like it's the same location. And so we had, um, you know, we had that we had that moment on the stairs, which which we managed to kind of blend in to look like it was shot at Teddy's uh, shot in Teddy's house. And the look of the demon was literally just was literally just James like playing around with some stage makeup that that he had. He sent me some ideas and like there's this movie this movie that I really love called The Dark Song. Have you guys seen, seen that movie? 
that's a great one. That's a great fucking movie. And like, nobody's seen it. Like we're probably the only three people that've seen that movie, but it's so good. And like, um, and I love the look of the, of the ghosts in that with like the kind of clay smeared over them. It can kind of look ancient and primordial and like, and there was something really creepy about that. And so, so that was kind of, that was the reference that I gave to him. Um, but basically he just, he, I mean, he, he's a scary looking dude anyway. So it wasn't, there wasn't that much stuff that needed to happen. Um, and then we did a bit of VFX. We whited out his eyes. We kind of like, uh, I think that's all we did. We just whited out his eyes, but it was all about just getting those like small glimpses of him. And I liked the idea that like the demon would like start to manifest more towards the end. Like you'd feel that this thing was getting closer and closer and closer. Um, and you'd start to get a bit jumpy and want to look over your shoulder. Like maybe there'd actually be something behind you. Like we wanted to make it feel like there was another presence on the call by the end. And also, sorry, I'm rambling now, but like, but also like what, what I, what I always have a lot of fun with in horror movies is like you basically as a filmmaker set up the way that the audience watches your movie. Like, like paranormal activity is so great because it make like the first paranormal activity is so great because it makes a door moving like two inches, like the scariest fucking thing that, but that becomes a set piece. You know, if that was to happen in the conjuring two, you wouldn't think anything of it, but like that, that movie sets a framework by which you watch it. And we really wanted to like, to fuck with the audience on this one by setting up a framework where they thought for the first half of the movie, they were watching paranormal activity. And then by the end we realized, no, you're watching the conjuring and, you know, having the demon suddenly show up when, to this point in time, you've just seen it as an invisible force, moving doors, pulling chairs. We kind of wanted to to wrong foot the audience and say, no, things are stepping up now. You don't know where we're going with this. And having the demon turn up at that point was, was a good way of showing that. I have a very important spoiler question. What oh, yeah. happened to Emma's sweet dad? Oh, no. I think probably I think probably he snuck out to go to the pub. Yes. And um, yeah, no, but then he's got, he's, he comes back and has to find Caroline like that. Poor Pat. I felt so bad for Caroline. You really put her through the ringer because I also also watched um, Dawn of the Deaf and it's just, you really like dump some heavy stuff on her. But in this in particular, you know, you think you're jumping into like a fun, crazy Zoom horror movie and she spends like half of it in like really upsetting tears. Yeah, yeah. No, we knew that because Caroline, I think, like Caroline Caroline was really nervous about it, about it all anyway, about, about, messing with the spirits and she was very concerned that we might have angered something and she was very just um that's that's she i think she's playing she's playing so close to herself there and she's got this natural like warmth and likability and sweetness and you know of course we see that and we just want to like to to fuck around with it and make it you know put her through the most horrible thing we can think of it's just the it's just it's just my natural instinct i don't know what to say but um yeah, I th- you know, I think there's there's something like I remember, like I just I, I remember watching The Exorcist for the first time when I was a kid, like way too young. And there's something that really freaked me out about that movie, about this idea of like evil just for the sake of evil. Like the only thing that Pazuzu wanted to do was just like there was this there was this 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 thing, this like pure thing, this 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 girl, and he just wanted to like to just there to be more evil in the world and to just fuck up everything that was good. And and that's, that's the scariest thing to me, you know, more so than like demons who want something or they need to fulfill a prophecy. That's like that, that, nev- that stuff never really lands with me, but this idea of just the person who's the most scared, the demon wants to put them through the most horrible, grueling death. 
that's the most scary thing I can, I can think of is that something see, sees your fear and is like, Oh, I'm going to go for that person that's really scared. Cause that's what, that's what I want to, to exploit. You know, there's just some, something about that that gets under my skin. Even human evil like that, as you were explaining it, the movie that kept popping into my mind was the strangers where yeah, yeah. that is just cause they can, and they were home. <laughs> Yeah, I love The Strangers. Yeah, that's a great that's a great one. A step away from uh, Caroline's dad. I was so thankful. You oh, Caroline's dad. He's so sweet. <laughs> I, I was so thankful though that you didn't. And I was thinking about this. It took me three watches to do this. That you didn't include any pets. Like, did nobody involved have any pets? Because I knew if I saw one, something bad was going to happen to it. I'm glad that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like I don't like killing animals in movies. Like the. Um, no, Gemma. Gemma got a puppy just after we finished. I don't. I honestly don't think we'd be able to do. Uh, oh, if you if like if you follow her on Twitter, you should check check it out. She's got this puppy called Percy, and it's honestly the cutest like creature you'll ever see. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to get anything done because Percy's like so boisterous and like so like needy for attention. Um, but she got she got Percy like literally like two weeks after we after we finished shooting. Um, no, I don't know. I I think like it's always more upsetting to see animals get killed than it is humans we're so desensitized seeing humans get killed but like but it's also a bit of a cheap shot as well so uh i don't know plus i didn't want to like we were already doing remote filming and all these crazy stunts i didn't want to throw working with animals into the mix as well that might have been (laughs) the thing that gave me my heart attack you asked us our favorite what scarer is your favorite what are you most proud of um pick your favorite child oh god (laughs) I think I think probably the most fun. I think the whole. I mean, the whole section with like with Teddy and Emma at the end. I really love just because I love the pace of it, and I love like. Um, I just think Emma like absolutely smashed it in that scene. I think she really, uh, you know, like we showed her Blair Witch and we showed her the moment with Heather breaking down, and it was like that was the moment where we were really trying for that, and the fact that she, she totally got there and she totally totally sold that. Because it was like, that was the thing I was worried about. It's like all this all this horrible stuff is happening. We wanted it to really like snowball at the end, but like performance wise, how do you escalate and escalate and escalate without going into melodrama? And I think she just absolutely nailed it. And I really love how she plays that that stuff. And obviously, we've got some of our big big scares there, and we've got our burn and all that kind of stuff, which was the most nerve wracking thing to shoot remotely. Because you know, if you're you're if you're setting someone on fire. Uh, you know, like we, we literally, and we literally just did it. Like that was, that was literally just Teddy being set on fire. There's no stunt double or anything like, um, so, you know, there is this thing like, fuck, am I going to watch somebody on the other side of the country burn to death on a zoom call? And I can't do anything. Not that I'd be able to do anything if I was there, but there's a different feeling. Like I've done burns on set before and there's like, a there's a, a feeling, a feeling on set. Everyone's very serious. Everyone's very present. It's very weird not being in the same physical space. So I'd say like that that section's probably the most fun. Or or, or, or Haley's chair getting pulled back just because like that's just genuinely their reactions and it's it, that was the first that was the first time that we put our kind of um like holding stuff back. Uh the, you know, we were holding stuff back from the actors and that was the first time we paid it off with something they weren't expecting. And I just remember that moment a bit like I was muted and hidden on the call. I remember just like jumping up and laughing at that moment. Um it was so like that was the moment where I was like, oh, Maybe this will work. So those two moments, I said, my favorites. Was there anything that while you were shooting it, it crossed your mind like, oh, shit, maybe this isn't going to cut together and look right, and it happened to have come out great? Um, 
Yeah, I'd say the, the flower, the flower stuff. Like that scene, that scene was really hard to put together. That scene, uh, like going from Caroline smashing through her fake background to uh, Emma getting getting picked up and thrown to the ground. Like that whole section was so hard to like to judge to judge like how the others would react to it because it was such a pivotal it was such a pivotal moment where there's no like there's no like denying there's no like oh it's probably just you know it's probably just a trick of the light or you know nothing's nothing's there or you know there's no there's kind of no there's no denying it and and also there's no denying that this thing is malicious and wants these guys dead and like how would you react like i don't know i don't know what i'd do i'd probably try and jump out of my window which i guess didn't work out for emma at the end but like th- th- it's just like how do we keep them on the zoom call keep it believable keep this moving um what would what would their reactions in that moment be and what feels what feels real but what gets us where we need to go and like that's always the balance and we like i think we filmed that scene like three times or something like not the not the actual like flower stuff because i'd already filmed that i'd already filmed that in advance that was the first thing that i filmed just here on my own and like we'd already cut it together but the reactions and how like Gemma and Haley's fear played into how emma was reacting and like yeah that that's that stuff was really hard to land because that's kind of where the film hinges and from there onwards, it, we kind of knew that we were just in the freak out and it was just one thing after another. And, you know, that stuff was all was all good fun. How long are you sitting in front of your computer kind of directing a Zoom movie? It's like how many hours a day, how many shooting days, all that. Oh, my God, it's like too, too many. It's basically like it's basically well, even even the days where it was just a normal shoot day, like. You know, on a normal film set, you've got downtime because, you know, the lights need to be set up. There's hair and makeup. The camera needs to be set up. Whereas on Zoom, they, you know, there's like I didn't want any any hair and makeup. I didn't want any uh, lighting. So they turned up. We were ready to shoot. On a normal, whatever it is, 14-hour shoot day, that's like 14 hours of actually shooting, actually acting, actually directing, actually being present. And it's really, like, takes it out of you. And actually, one thing that we figured out, because me and the producer, Douglas Cox, we're, we're – we kind of, we kind of just put in these. Normally, we just put in these like stupidly long hours to get these these low budget things done. And we found out that on Zoom, we could really push that to li- the limit because we could go, we could shoot a full day with the main cast. Then we could literally just hop onto another Zoom call with the stunt team, and we could go and shoot stunts all night, and then turn up again first thing in the morning to shoot with it. So literally, like some nights we were shooting from like eight in the like eight in the morning all the way till like three or four in the morning. Um, no regard for your own sleep schedule, but at least you're looking out for all your other departments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and doing the whole thing, like I, I because because I was shooting some of Emma's scenes as well. Like I had to black out all the cast had to black out their their uh, apartments, which and this was in the height of the summer, it was baking hot, and I blacked out my my windows as well. So I was living in like perpetual night for two weeks while we shot this, just doing these, like I had no idea what time of the day it was half the time. It really became like delirious by the end. So as we wind down here, mm. we always ask our guests two questions. I'll get one of them out of the way. Cause I feel like I know the answer to this. We always ask everybody, do you have any pets? No, I wish I wish. No, I had a, I had a, I had a dog. I had a dog until, until last year, but it was, it, it was an old dog and I'm not, not quite ready to get, as you know, I am ready to get another puppy, but just, um, hasn't happened yet but i think i think yeah maybe maybe before the year's out i want to get a little puppy 
Is that really a question you ask everyone at the end? There's, there's, I'm telling you, there's some weird connection between horror lovers and pet lovers. Like yeah. We just find that some of the folks that we interview are some of the most enthusiastic pet lovers out there. I honestly, like if I could just, if I could just live in the countryside and, and have a dog to play with constantly, I think I'd, I'd be happy not doing anything else. I might just become a dog walker. Honest, honestly, like I might just become a dog walker. I think I might be happier that way. I always say that if I lose my job, I'm going to move into an apartment building and like have a monopoly on the building and just become the resident cat and dog sitter. Yeah, honestly, I think I think that's a good a good way to live. It's also a fun like ending question because everyone leaves really happy. We all just <laughs> yeah. smiling and talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our our second question that we do ask everyone is what what is happening right now in genre, whether it's a movie or TV show or book, whatever, anything that you have seen lately that you think people should check out. Does it have to be a current a current thing, or can it be something old that I've discovered? Um, I tell you what, I always shout out about this movie, but it's not, but it, it, it's honestly like I don't think I don't think enough people have seen it, and I don't think enough horror fans like. I don't think it gets enough love among, amongst the horror community, which is this movie, The Innocence from the 1960s, 1961, which I think is probably my favorite horror movie. And it's probably, I think it might even be just the best movie ever made. It's just like one of the richest, most brilliant ghost stories that you'll ever see. It's got a brilliant script. Truman Capote wrote the script. That's, that's the pedigree. It's got Deborah, Deborah Kerr doing this amazing, like layered performance, this super challenging, like, um, like subtext about like sexual frustration and all these kind of things going on in it whilst also being like one of the most scary ghost stories you'll ever see. And, you know, it's one of those movies where a lot of people I think get put off because it's black and white. It's from the 1960s. It looks like it's going to be like really antiquated and it's going to have a booming orchestral score and you're going to have to like take it with a a pinch of salt. But actually it's so fucking scary. It's so fucking modern. And like, the way that uh, Jack Clayton, the director, like uses the frame and hides these little uh, glimpses of the ghosts and, and kind of plays with composition and plays with like, where am I looking? I'm, you know, you're always like searching the frame, kind of in a similar way to what we were trying to do in host. You're always looking around, seeing if anything's hidden uh, in the darkness. And like, it's, you know, Mike Flanagan, like totally watched it for, for, for haunting of Hill house and for his hidden ghosts. And, and I just think it's a, like, surprisingly modern surprisingly complex and uh like rich movie that i always watch like at least a couple of times every year and i always find new things to to get out of it so so that i'd say go and go and watch the innocence oh and and, uh, lake mungo is another one that i that i always yeah lake mungo i watched that again actually at the start of, of quarantine and i just thought it was like beyond just being a terrifying ghost story it's also just like a heartbreaking like it's just a great movie as well. Like the, the, the kind of mother daughter relationship really got me this time. And I just like, I, like knowing where all the, the scares and the, the kind of creepy bits were just kind of watching it as like a family portrait. It's so like affecting. It's just like amazingly well done. I so mean, yeah. That, it me. It's like, yeah. One of the few that truly scares the hell out of me, but also like it makes me sad as shit. Yeah. The bit at the end with the, with the, um, the, the, the two therapy sessions and the mum and the daughter and like that idea of like being close but not connecting and like tying that into like your relationship with your parents as a teenager and, and not understanding what either of them are going through and it's so yeah it's such a rich movie but um you made me want to watch it again yeah late mungo and, and the innocence i'd say 
You name dropping all the right titles on this show. <laughs> I'd like to. I try. Everyone go watch a dark song. So more than three of us will. Yeah. A dark song as well. So guys, everybody out there. I mean, at this point you've seen host. So maybe find someone, you know, has not seen it and recommend that they watch it. And also uh, Dawn of the Deaf is great. And I think you can watch that on Vimeo right now. So when you're done watching yeah. Go check that out. And Rob, congratulations on everything. We're both. I can speak for both of us when I say we can't wait to see what you deliver next. Oh, thanks so much. And can I can I just add in if you're if you're showing it to somebody new, can you please like secretly film their reactions to watching it? Because I love that stuff so much. It's honestly giving me life right now seeing people jump at all the scares. You putting ideas in my head right now. Yes, amazing. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna go scare someone. Yes. Thank you so much for watching. I'm going to say happy spookies and you've officially survived the witching hour. Hey, happy spookies. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast from negative to positive brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. People notice a healthy smile, but maybe you have tooth sensitivity, bleeding gums, or acid-weakened enamel. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel are trusted specialty toothpastes created to help improve your oral health. For tooth sensitivity, choose Sensodyne. Bleeding gums, get Paradontax. For acid-weakened enamel, Pronamel is the toothpaste for you. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel. Trusted specialty toothpaste to help bring home your healthy smile. Visit Ibotta to earn cash back.